0: Hey, you're not going to want to miss our podcast today. We're talking about the uh, age-old discussion between character and competence. Do our leaders in America need to be moral? Do they need to be people of virtue? Or is it just important that they're great technicians? They're great at public policy. They're great at getting things done. These are important questions. And we're going to deal with three prominent examples from history today, uh, all of which inspired our our founding fathers to be men of principle. And we're going to understand the important connection between virtue and our private lives. and and the strength of the Republic uh, that we have been handed. All right, so you're not going to want to miss this podcast today. We hope that you'll join us.
1: Hey, welcome to the Ron Johnson Discipleship Podcast,
0: (laughs) where we have fun every day, even before you guys get to watch us. We're having fun already, and and this podcast is going to be more than fun. This is an important podcast. We are talking about the importance of moral leadership today and how uh, critical that is to the health of a republic. And and as we are chit-chatting, I can't think of a more relevant topic, um, and I, I guess a more sobering topic, because I look at what's going on in the American political arena right now, Um, you know, where we have the left filing indictment after indictment after indictment, hoping something sticks. And then on the right, we're trying to expose all of this, uh, uh, you know, uh, what's the word, proof, evidence, whatever, that the administration has been incredibly compromised and corrupt. And so you got this massive political mudslinging happening on both sides. I don't know who's running our country or what important decisions are being made because uh coming up now uh to what are we 2 years out from the next election uh, A year and year, a few months yeah so so anyway we what we're, we're still let's, we're still out from the election and yet uh we're already positioning and posturing and ramping ourselves up for a, a what, I th- what I assume is going to be a massive political circus uh, like we've never seen in American history. So this whole issue of character and morality and what it means, how important it is to leadership uh, is critical. And uh, I guess it, it brings us back to the age-old question that came up, um, I remember, during the Clinton administration. And I guess even before that, I was just a boy. But I remember when uh, the whole Nixon... Uh, you know, Watergate came out, and the 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 issue that was raised was you know how important is character uh as it relates to competence you know like character competence and if if someone is a good leader, can they be a scoundrel in other areas <laughs> of their life and still we we still you know have them leave for instance, the argument was made about um, uh, Nixon's geopolitical expertise. But the problem was he lied and he cheated, um, and uh, and then you get to Bill Clinton, of course, and it was like, hey, the guy's a great leader, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So let's just turn our our eyes on his, uh, you know, sexual indiscretions or whatever. Um, let's talk about that a little bit because this this is a heated debate in America. It hasn't gone away. I think people would still be as as uh, passionate about either side today. But but explain to our listeners kind of the the argument as it goes. You know. Uh, as opposed to, I, I guess, making the divorce between the two and acting like they can
1: be compartmentalized. Right, and, and the argument Aaron Metaxas is making in this book, if you can keep it, that's the book we're going through, is basically saying a nation will cease to exist, will, 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 will fall apart when we have lost a sense of morality in our leaders. There needs to be some type of common morality. Yeah. In fact, this is how he
0: says it. How, how might their character or lack of it come into play with regard to our ability to keep the fragile republic of ordered freedoms entrusted to us. So he's saying this, the republic is already fragile. We've already talked about these things that are necessary. How critical is it that character of our leaders is in that mix if we're to sustain
1: the republic that we've been given? Absolutely, and his argument is... This is absolutely crucial. Yeah, this is very crucial. And the, so the debate that you were referring to is the competence versus character. You know, if someone gets the job done in and, and their quote unquote personal life, they doesn't have doesn't some matter. indiscretions and whatnot. Then why does it even matter? You know, and that's the discussion. You know, and and as we found, um, our founders
0: believed that a man's personal character really, really mattered. And Metaxas uh, makes a great quote here. He said, uh, when the founders were advocating for liberty, their single most quoted source was the Bible, which, of course, tells us something about their thoughts on the importance of virtue. So that's an important takeaway. The founders' number one source for authority was the scripture. And of course, the scripture lays out very clearly the importance of character and moral virtue. But he goes on and mentions something else. He said, the second most quoted source was the French political philosopher uh, Montesquieu, who wrote that, quote, bad examples can be worse than crimes. He continued, more states have perished because of a violation of their mores than because of the violation of their laws. Talk
1: about that a little bit. Bad examples can be worse than crimes. Yeah, and, and if you think about it, it makes sense. When you have some elect a leader, it's not just like hiring a I don't know, an electrician to come to your house. You know, when you when you elect a leader, whether you want well, whether you like it or not, uh, his or her personal life will be emulated by the masses to some degree. Okay, it's very hard to say, hey, this well, whatever is whatever our-
0: the leader gets away with, so to speak. Sure, we interpret it as, wow. Well, if it's not important to them or they're they're in such a big position and they get away with it, then I guess it's not important for me. So you have a de- a deterioration of the moral fabric of of the society
1: well we we discussed this last week we talk about uh athletes right and we used to just assume if you're a famous athlete you are a role model and then you have other athletes says i just want to play ball i'm not a role model but one could argue and i would argue uh when you get to that level of prestige of notoriety of media coverage you don't have a choice you are a role model one way or another so if you start doing things that's what whatever that's considered inappropriate or or bad or evil, and you're just like, well, I didn't expect people to follow me. Well, that's what it comes with the territory. You don't yeah. have a choice in that. And, and in a republican form of government,
0: where our leaders are representatives, in other words, we as collectively voted them into office, so mm-hmm. they represent us. So if they are living a certain way. Uh, and they represent us, then what does it say about us? It, it it either means we elected the wrong person, or it means those of us share those same values, elected that person, and he really is a, a microcosm of of our collective virtue or lack thereof. Yeah. So um, there's no getting away with it. Uh, the The health of the republic is going to be absolutely dependent upon the people who are representing the people. And if the representatives of the people are evil or corrupt or compromised, um, you 're going to see the whole system fall apart, and that really is I believe what we 're seeing happen right now uh, and we 'll get into that at the at the toward the end of this chapter, but he goes into uh three examples from history that have been notable in terms of our republic. The first is a man by the name of Cincinnatus, and and he talks about Cincinnatus and his plow. This was a, uh, a leader in Roman culture uh, who had retired, basically, and gone back to his farm and was at his plow when um, uh, Rome was threatened, and uh, they needed a great leader. And basically, they came and pulled him out of retirement, and, the, and their way of doing that was simply saying, you know what, our nation is depending upon you. We, our nation needs you. And so, you know, the famous story is he left his plow, uh, he went in, and, and, and their language became a dictator, which meant that not that he was mean and cruel, but that he had you know absolute power to lead the nation
1: against a crisis invasion. And a crisis, yep. Yeah.
0: And, and as the story goes, it took basically it took six months, uh, and he voluntarily gave up all that power that he had been entrusted with. And went back right yeah. to his plow and went back to his um, his homestead and got about doing what he enjoyed doing. And I guess the thing that was so such a powerful example to our founders was when people are given power, especially absolute power, and we know that absolute power can corrupt absolutely, right? So when you're given absolute power and you willingly put it back in the hands of the people uh, who elected you and you go back to being basically a normal citizen... That says a lot about the character of a man, because most people cannot handle that kind of power. Once they get it, it's like Lord of the Rings, right? Once you get the ring, the ring ends up consuming you. Uh, And so, Cincinnatus was a model, not only to the Roman Republic, but a model to our founders as somebody who who led well, served the country. He was not serving because of his own self-interest. He was serving because of the crisis. And then when he resolved the crisis through his outstanding leadership gift, he went right back to being a normal person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and our founders like that. They're like, wow, this is an incredible example uh, of, of leadership, one that we should follow. In fact, you know, his next example was uh, was Washington. And, uh, you know, we talked about Washington's exceptional character in our last episode, you know, with the whole uh, honesty and chopping down the cherry tree and all that. And just that he, he, Washington was not a perfect leader. None of us are. But he was a, known for being a man of outstanding character. So talk a little bit about the, the episode from uh, Washington's life that uh, Eric Metaxas highlights. You know, we, we know a lot of of his life and his great moments, uh, Valley Forge and and, uh, and some of the great uh, military battles and so forth. But toward the end of the revolution, when when miraculously we are moments away from celebrating the victory, there was uh, almost a political coup that took place in uh, in America. And talk about Washington and his response.
1: Yeah, and in in an example that I think most people can understand, the Continental Army was you know fighting in winter with no shoes on. I mean, they B- were giving their lives,
0: footprints and everything. Else. And yeah. I
1: guess they haven't been paid in months, if not years. I don't know how long they have not been paid. And right. and the Continental Congress. I think. That's well, we what were broke as a nation right. at the time, so there's no no money to pay them. So, so basically, the army, these officers, are plotting a coup yep. to say, "Hey, we're gonna make Washington king." And we're going to basically dismantle the Congress, and we're going to declare ourselves yeah. the next. The, the, you can understand rulers. why they're
0: disgruntled, and you know the the enemy likes to play off of our uh, uh, off of our offenses, right? I mean, these guys have suffered greatly; um, they've paid the the ultimate price for America. And uh, and they've gone without, and they have a, they have basically a promissory note from the government saying I owe you from the government, and I owe an you from the government that's broke because yeah. uh, we're we're just beginning, you know, and uh, and they're frustrated, and they called a private summons of all the military um and uh and, and didn 't put any names attached to it, but basically they were saying we 're sick and tired of this, and uh we want to put our commanding officer and and you know they had that part of it right, who best to lead the country uh than washington and uh, and he and, and he was offended by it, and uh, Metaxas goes into great detail in the book and uh of washington's speech, but basically he appeals to a standard. Of righteousness and truth, and and to honor and love for country, and and kind of, I mean, not kind of. He very eloquently rebukes his military leadership for even thinking at, at such a time. You know, he puts he casts it in the light of history and says, you know, you at, at the moment we're on the precipice of of creating a nation um, for for we the people, self governed nation. Mm-hmm. You guys are looking to take us backwards you know, into what we just fought to be delivered from, you know, basically shame on you. Why would we stoop so low? And why would you want future generations to look back on what up to this point has been this amazing record of sacrifice and service and honor? And now it's all going to be spoiled in one moment because you're upset because you don't have a paycheck.
1: right And and, and I think his words were recorded and that part itself of his letter or his, his speech to them stunned me the most because Washington in the middle of all these battles. I mean, again, when you get to the the war and battles, I mean, you get lost in the middle of that. But 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 in the middle of this, he had a, a perspective of history and and what they're doing. He had, he he was able to zoom in on specific you know battles, but he's also able to zoom out and look at the context of the impact of what they're doing yeah. in history. And that's what. Really impressed me because he, he because the European nations all are looking at America and say, "Hey, this is do- they're doing something new. They're doing something." Extraordinary, right? And and we can't spoil this. And I was just like, wow, how did he not get lost in the right. middle of the hunger and the pain and the death and whatnot? That's he, a good point. I mean, it's it, it's amazing
0: the the sense of perspective that he had as a leader to, to kind of rise above the the pain, yeah. and all the suffering and the uh, sacrifice, and to see their their moment in history yeah. is exceptional. Um, but Washington called them to a standard. It was a biblical standard. It was it was a being about being honorable. And I love the. The point uh, that Eric Metaxas shares in that story when um, Washington went to read a letter and he could not read it and he reached in his coat and he pulled out his spectacles which I guess he never wore publicly or never showed that to his men And as he had a moment of weakness, he basically said, uh, Hold on, guys, you know, my my eyes have grown old in this battle. So here's somebody who wasn't a politician. This is a guy that was sleeping out in the field right with them. This is a guy that went through the deprivation and and had horses shot out from underneath him. I mean, this is a guy that that has the authority, the moral authority to speak and to challenge them to come higher. And as he puts his glasses on, it's his tears we're running down these soldiers faces mm-hmm. because it's like they realize wow he's paid the ultimate price he's grown old fighting this battle mm-hmm. and he's the one calling us to to do what's right and to yep. do what's true i can't imagine being in that moment like that just that your own leader's frailty mm-hmm. that his the price that he's paid physically uh, is manifesting and it's touching these guys, and so th- at that moment, literally the whole republic is hanging in the balance. Because if they have a coup, a military coup, and they make him the the next king, we're just like Great Britain two point oh, right? <clears throat> and um, and so again, it was his moral courage and virtue that that. Quelled that coup, yeah. that that and that like Cincinnati, I love it because because you look back at Washington, he was basically called out of retirement after the war. He just wanted to go home. He just wanted to be on the farm. He just wanted to, you know, to be at Mount Vernon and to do the things that he loved to do, right. which is just like Cincinnati. So talk about um, the third example, uh, making goodness fashionable. Uh, the example of William Wilberforce because it was another powerful example of moral virtue
1: and leadership. Yeah. Yeah, I think Aaron Metaxas was trying to sell his book, uh, William Wilberforce, <laughs> in, in this context. No, I'm just kidding. Not really. Um but no, he don't he, accuse he, yeah, him. Yeah, don't accuse <laughs> him of that. No, just kidding. He 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 talked about the, the the probably the greatest example, the probably yeah. the most wide, widely known example of morality in from a from the from a political leadership that changed the nation was William Warburforce. And and most people know uh Wilberforce from his um Petition from his campaign to end the slave trade, but he did so much more than that. Yeah. I mean, yep. he, like you said, he made good and fashionable, because Wilford realized that you can't... At some point, there's a limit to legislating how much morality. People say you can't legislate morality, and we will argue every law has a degree of morality in it. Yeah. But he understand that <clears throat> at the end of the day, if if the moral standards of people cannot ri- raise to that bar, the laws will become obsolete. Yeah. So he so had... Th- yeah, the, you and let's just pause there, because that's such
0: right. a great point. Uh, Wilberforce had two major goals for his life. One was the abolition of the slave trade, and the other was what he called the Reformation of Manners. And you made a perfect, perfect uh, illustration there, a connection, because as you pointed out, Wilberforce realized, and, and we just use the example of slavery, you can pass laws to try to stop slavery, but if there is not a Reformation of Manners, in other words, if you don't deal with people's hearts, and their morals and their character, um, you will never be able to pass enough laws to stop bad behavior. Yeah. You have to be self-governed, you have to start on the inside, and so Wilberforce understood that if if there was not a great awakening in Britain, uh, and a changing of people's hearts and values, they would never see slavery stop, and um, just this this gave me hope. Uh, because sometimes we look at the American culture and you think, man, we are so rotten to the core. and. There are segments of our society where that is true. But this is why I still have incredible hope for our nation, because when you look back at historically at what was happening in Britain during Wilberforce's time, we're not there yet, all right? So take a look at this. He said, there was open disregard and even active disdain for public and private morality in Great Britain. Public drunkenness, even on the very floor of the parliament, was common. So you would have leaders that were stone-cold drunk, uh, stumbling around in Parliament during uh, the session Which, again, I'm sure we've had episodes But not, not like that It was a time of open debauchery In every sphere of culture Such behaviors were flaunted In terms of uh, all kinds of immorality and perversion And this was stunning to me For one index of the cultural climate We may recall that during this period in London 25%, one out of four of, every, of all single women Were prostitutes and their average age was 16. I mean, this was acceptable. This was the way it was. One out of four young ladies prostituting themselves and the average age being 16. So that, that's just stunning. So Wilberforce is standing on the floor of Parliament with drunks. He's being mocked. And this was interesting. In those days, if you brought your private morality into public discussion, you were ridiculed. Like, who are you to be shoving your morality down our throats? And that's exactly what what the left says to us today. If we if we try to su- suggest, hey, that is wrong, that is morally wrong. Right. The Bible says, or, or Jesus declares, or whatever. Uh, you're you're almost looked at like, who are you to bring your personal views into my public debauchery? Right. You know. But that's exactly what Wilberforce was facing. And uh, and he fought and fought and fought and fought and stood resolute. Um, and I guess if there's any example of, of how character and leadership go hand in hand, I mean, Wilberforce is the positive side um, because he, he didn't have to put up with all that. There's the easy, easier things he could have done. Um but year in year out, he fought those battles until finally uh, he won. And and it was in fact this this book, uh, which we're not going to go into another book study. But uh, this is called a practical view of Christianity: personal faith as a call to uh, political responsibility. This book, uh, Colson writes the uh, the intro, Chuck Colson, and he says that it was uh, Wilberforce's book that laid the tracks for the Second Great Awakening. So as you start reading this, and I was going back reviewing it today, I've read about, I think I got about a third way through before I got distracted. Um, but Wilberforce writes like a theologian, and he's a politician. I mean, he, he's going back to uh, uh, the fall of man and, and the total depravity, and he's quoting scripture verses. I mean, that is a, a treatise on, um, on human depravity and the need for the gospel and reformation of our manners. Uh, I mean, he,
1: he created, he and this what, the sectum, cl- claps? clap? clapum sect. So. clapum sorry. Yep. Clapham sect. <laughs> clapum <'em>, sect, <laughs> right? Yes. It's a mouthful. It's British people. But, but they created all kinds of societies. Mm-hmm. They didn't just, you know, sit around and just talk about it. They, they went out and they enacted laws. They created society. they He recruited kind of the movers, shakers, business guys, political guys, educators. And, they, and,
0: they, and these societies were basically, you know, uh, groups that were raised up to fight a certain cause. We wouldn't use the word societies in our culture. Yeah, it sounds think. like something dark or... No, it's not. Yeah, it's, yeah, just, yeah. it's
1: just groups, yeah. humanitarian would, groups.
0: Wilberforce, yeah. I think, himself was a part of like 69 different, you know, these societies. Everything committed to uh, stopping the cruelty of animals, to, you know, helping the illiterate. Uh, I mean, it, yeah. it, the list goes on and on and on. And, and I love this. Wilberforce believed that... There's no such thing as a private faith. If you have a genuine faith, it will express itself publicly in culture. And so, again, the the impact of private character and public service going hand in glove, that you cannot separate those. And, and of course, that's what Metaxas is highlighting. Um, But let's go to the main point of this chapter. And he, uh, Metaxas says this, what is more important still is that if at any point in a republic of self-government, the people begin to distrust their leaders as somehow corrupt or as more concerned with themselves than those that they serve, the whole scheme of self-government begins to unravel and is fatally threatened. That to me is a, is a prophetic warning of where we are at today. I can't think of a time in my lifetime when... People are distrusting everything that has to do with public leadership in our country. In every sector of, yep. of leadership, the church, government, uh, education. How about science? I've never seen where science and public health have ever been more you know, questioned and more distrusted after the whole COVID debacle. So um, it's just interesting. So if, so if we don't trust those who we have elected to represent us, then the whole republic begins to unravel. And so he says self-government cannot exist without virtuous leaders, um, which is the point that we're making. And here's some of the, the, the fallout. He says, "In a self-government, as the one bequeathed to us by our founders, bad examples among our leaders do something even worse than encourage a culture of vice in those they lead. They actually undermine people's faith in the larger order.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's prophetic.
0: America this is where, today. We're today. where we're at today. where we're at today. In fact, we're sitting around right now, as you pointed out, uh, between a year and two years away from the next election, and I think the average person, at least this maybe in our in our world, is like, is my vote even going to count? Is, is the system so rigged that we can't really even trust the the larger order, the system? Is government so broken? that you know, you begin to get cynical. People begin to say, well, why am I paying taxes? Those that represent me have created every loophole and they create laws that don't even apply to themselves. So why should I be honest at, at the end of the day? Why should I be honest when everybody representing me is not honest? Right. And when, we, when we hear this talked about a lot, a two-tiered uh, system of justice, like, okay, if they get away with these terrible crimes, then why should I be living right. under a separate set of laws? You know There is no justice. So there's no justice, uh, there's no fairness, everybody's out for themselves. When that's your approach to government, I mean, how long as a nation can you really survive? Uh, and I think that's the question Metaxas is asking. Like, How about this? Look at all the waste in government. Why, why would I give the government any of my tax dollars? I'm trying to feed my kids, right? right. And we're right. trying to raise families, feed our kids. Why should I give them one dime? if all it is is horrific waste. Or even now, when we're sending gazillions of dollars overseas yeah. to help other people's kids, but we're not even helping our own kids. Or sir. even
1: a special interest group that you're gonna pass this law, but it's all that pork attached for this program, this program, this program has nothing to do with our state or our community, and it's a special interest group that's gonna vote. I mean, it's all handouts, right? You give them a handout, you get votes. <laughs> right you know? now where all this is up about the military budget, and there's so much. And of course,
0: who who doesn't think we should support our military? Everybody. That's, that's like one of the few legitimate functions of government, right. right? Is protect your nation, at least of the federal government. So who's not for supporting and, and keeping a strong military? But the problem is there's so much other stuff that has nothing to do with that, with the military or with protecting our nation. That's thrown into that bill. Pork, right. as you mentioned, all these special projects, pork projects, that you look at this bloated bill, and then it's all a matter of optics at that point. Oh, Representative Ming, he is stopping the passage. He must not support our military. Well, no, you support the military. You're just revolting against right. a third of the bill, which is total right. waste. Right. Uh, but it's all optics, politics, marketing. It's all about getting reelected. And people see all this, and they just go, you know, is was system so broken, um, that we, we just have to eject from the system, which, of course, is a terrible thing because then people go, well, why should I vote? What does my vote matter? Why should I run for office? It's just a bunch of crooks. And so people withdraw from the very government that they are the people. They right. are the government. Right. And now they're withdrawing from it. Or how about this one? this one? This one gets me, still gets me fired up. When I'm watching our, our leftist leaders who are violating COVID protocol left and right and they're on national television saying we're all in this together right and I'm thinking, we're not in this together. You guys have your own set of rules. You guys are still going out to eat with your cronies. You're getting your hair done at the beauty parlor while you're shutting down this lady over here because you're saying she's violating COVID policy. But the Speaker of the House is getting her hair done. I get so sick of this. We're all in this together because we're not in this together. Because contrary to the examples we just talked about, there is no sacrificial leadership. There there are not leaders who are going First. That are that are sacrificing more, that are inspiring us to make great sacrifices. No, you're you're not doing any of that. But you have these little ridiculous slogans like "We're all in this together." People are so disgusted with that kind of uh, political hypocrisy, um, and everybody sees through the thin thin veil. There is a, when w- what we're motivated by is people who are willing to make the sacrifice first and then inspire us to it. I want to roll now, but how about all the globe the global climate hysteria when there's not one person spouting that all this you know climate concern that is actually practicing it themselves mm. they live in mansions their carbon footprints greater than anybody else they're flying in in private jets it's all a hoax if they if they believed it they would be practicing it and they would be they would be making the greatest sacrifices but they're not doing that which means it's a bunch of baloney and I think the average person sees through it um, how about this? You know, we just saw our, our women's soccer team get ejected from the, the World Cup faster than any American team in the history of, of America. And, I, and I'll tell you what, when you talk to the average person on the street, when, when you see people who are there representing our country, who hate our country, who, who can't even cross their heart for, for the playing of the national anthem, nobody, could, nobody cares whether that team won. Uh, because the team hates our country, and do, at least some of them, and, and does not represent us. And there's no pride in, in being an American when that's who's representing you, people that actually hate the country. So nobody cares that they got ejected earlier than anybody else because— Again, the, the average American could care less about watching a bunch of women soccer players who hate America, representing us. And, and that's kind of what we feel across the board. We have politicians who hate America. We have leaders across the the, the, the board who hate America. And there's, there's just a lack of a sense of pride. So we we have morale in the military, for instance, all time low. Nobody wants to die and sacrifice for their country, right, or, or, or pay the ultimate price for, for what it means to be the American republic because there's, there's nothing worth sacrificing for. Um, so there's no sense of patriotism. In fact, patriotism nowadays is, is viewed as, as nationalism. You're like, a, you're like a little Hitler zombie running around if you love your country. <laughs> so you can see there's just a corrosiveness that happens when our leaders uh, have no character. And it gets back to the point you made at the start of this podcast. You know, character and leadership go hand in hand. If you lack character in your private life, you're going to make some serious mistakes in public life. And the whole thing just starts to corrode like its acid has been poured over it. Yeah. He says one of the most fragile parts of our fragile system of order liberties is the necessity of a basic trust between the people and their leaders and I think that basic trust is lacking right now we're really looking for somebody that we can believe in again and who's going to care for us that's why I think you know you and I've talked about this I think the secret sauce behind the Trump campaign has been the fact that uh, Americans by large numbers you're looking at the people that are following him and that are filling stadiums truly believe number one that that our president loves this country And that our president understands the average American, how the average American thinks, and this complete lack of trust in our government, uh, and looking for somebody that's going to care for us, and it's going to care for our issues, and it's going to care for our country, and actually love our country.
1: And there's a reason why, with every single indictment of Donald Trump, his poll ratings goes up. What does that say? That says there's there's a major distrust in the established government, whether it's D or R, Major distrust. At the same time, because the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Yep. When the when the established government start attacking him more and more, especially on claims that very obviously even liberal attorneys are saying there's no there's no basis to this these lawsuit. Normal people like myself and others can say, wait a second, maybe this is the guy I can trust, right? Because at this point, that's what we're looking for. We're not looking for someone who's going to be the perfect next coming of Jesus Christ because right now in in our in our government we don't have anybody close to that. We're looking for someone who has a degree of authenticity yep. and and so that we can possibly. Trust them. Yep. Right, and that's what all those numbers indicate to America. So this is not theoretical. This is very real, very practical right now. Very
0: real, and it's everywhere. And I and you, you go back to the other thing too about uh, you know using government for your own enrichment. You know, the average person is going, wait a minute, why are we ta- attacking people who made their money running successful businesses and pr- and living the American dream? Why are we not investigating politicians who came into office uh, at a certain level of wealth and are leaving office four or five times the wealth, they they leave office as millionaires. Mm -hmm. How does that happen when you're a public servant And public servants are not known for making whopper salaries. So where did all that money come from? We're asking all of the wrong questions. And I think the average American gets it. It's like, how did you get into office and now you're a gazillionaire? Well, insider trading, corruption, all of these other things um, that happen when people of bad character use public office to enrich themselves and at some point people get sick and tired of it all and we have another revolution i'm not talking about a bloody revolution or a violent revolution but i'm talking about a revolution of we the people when we just say you know what we're sick of it sometimes it it means the cincinnatus who's at home you know running his farm says you know what we have need of somebody like you because you're a person of character And, and we get some people that are not part of the elite uh crowd uh that make their way into office and and all of a sudden do some really really great things because people start believing in them and and honoring their sacrifice and their character and their integrity and leadership. So, we really do need an awakening and it gets back to our point that we made all along. That awakening does not happen in the halls of Congress. It happens in the Church of Jesus Christ and it happens at the grassroots level. Uh, and um, and and that I think is the hope that, the only hope that we have. We've got to change the manners, as Wilberforce said before we can get rid of the uh, the terrible things that are happening in our country the bad behaviors we got to get the heart heart healed first of all so uh, an important chapter a great book we hope you'll continue to pick, pick up some of these books we're recommending to you. Do your own personal study. Uh, we, the people, are the government. And so at the end of the day, how we vote and how we're engaged and what we do and, and how we live our lives and what we say and our values matter and your faith matters and the Bible matters and principles matter. So don't ever let people shame you. Uh, let me just say this. There's nothing new under the sun. They will always try to shame us for wanting to bring Christian values and Jesus Christ and virtue into the public arena that take that as a compliment, uh, from, from those who disagree with you when they start throwing that in your face and never forget that somebody's values are going to be, you know, uh, brought into every public arena. So don't be ashamed of bringing yours. in. in fact, they're needed more than ever at such a time as this. Uh, so again, we hope this is helpful for you today. Your personal life matters. Uh, your private character matters. And uh, and our nation as a republic is sustained by the private character of its citizens. So let's be virtuous this week. Let's do what's right. Let's love Jesus and love our neighbor. And uh, you got any final volley on that?
1: Nothing final.
0: I was fired up this morning, I guess, a little bit. I'm sorry if I hogged the, the microphone. <laughs> no, you're good. All right. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, we'll look forward to being back with you next Thursday. Until then, let's keep living for Jesus.